0: Welcome, everyone, to the, uh, uh, our panel on uh, looking at COVID-19 in Africa, the effects on the, of the pandemic on, and the questions of global politics, and uh, in geopolitics in particular. I'm uh, Chris Alden, professor of international relations, uh, the Department of International Relations at the LSE. I also hold a post at the LSE Ideas, um, and I'm today joined by a very distinguished group of speakers on um, the question, who will help me address this question and, and will pick their brains uh, as to what the impact of the the pandemic is on Africa, how Africa responds, and in particular the focus being on geopolitics. Um, our speakers uh, will, will, are, are the following, uh, Professor Aziz Malikias, uh, who's uh, Professor and Chair of the Department of Global Studies and Maritime Affairs at California State University, and an expert on Angola, uh, uh, amongst other things. Um, uh, the second speaker will be and particip- panelists would be uh, will be Dr. Folichado Soleil. Uh, she's a senior research associate in international relations at Oxford University. Again, she's done work on BRICS, on uh, global politics, and the role of China. Um, and uh, finally, Elizabeth Seteropoulos, who's the chief uh, executive officer, of, uh, chief, chief exec at uh, the South African Institute of International Affairs, uh, um, has worked extensively on development policy, on South African foreign policy, um, and uh, a number of issues that connected to the geopolitics side. Um, so this is... Uh, uh, a great opportunity for us to, to open up the issue of, of how COVID 19 matters to Africa. And I think that let me start with one, with, with a few statements, and then turn to our panelists. Uh, COVID 19 has, has um, had a global impact uh, of unprecedented uh, character and, and uh, 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 quality. Um, different states, different regions have responded differently to the to the pandemic. Uh, much of what has been discussed has been focused around public health policy and and the, the natural concerns about that impact. But in fact, I think what we'd like to do today is uh, link that to some broader questions, the the geopolitics of uh, this, the the impact on on African states as actors within their regional systems and within the the global system at large. So ours is an effort here to Step back a little, a little bit, uh, uh, while still embedded in the, some of the day-to-day of, of the pandemic as it affects African uh, societies and states. But to step back and reflect from an international relations perspective, what exactly are the trends that we see emerging uh, with uh, with respect to African concerns? Uh, in in uh, um, in the international system. So, having said that, I've posed uh, a general uh, question to each of the, the speakers, um, and I would like uh, uh, to, to ask uh, uh, Professor uh, Malakias uh, to to respond, and each of you in turn to respond. How how is COVID-19? How is the pandemic affecting African relations with the great powers, with China, with the United States? With Europe, we don't hear much about Europe in this context of, of Africa, or less, perhaps. Anyway, if I can turn it over to, to Professor Malikius.
1: Sure, Chris. Uh, thank you very much, and hello, everybody. Uh, so to your question, first of all, it's a very, very important question. Uh, let me start by contextualizing these relationships uh, just a little bit. Uh, starting with China. Uh, The uh, China-Africa relations. Uh, We must say, first of all, that uh, China has been a very solid uh, long-term partner uh, of Africa. Uh, China, if we look back a few decades, uh, has supported the struggles for liberation on the continent uh, against Western colonial oppression. And is currently supporting uh, African development efforts in very, very tangible ways. Uh, we are all aware of the uh, of the untold billions that uh, uh, China has invested in Africa since uh, emerging as a global power. Uh, has invested, uh, especially in natural resources, uh, and is underwriting just massive infrastructure projects all across uh, the continent. Uh, All of us who have visited Africa in recent years uh, could see just massive construction projects going on uh, around uh, the continent. Uh, And uh, China has also been able to kind of woo uh, Africa's uh, leaders. Uh, This, uh, one must say, has very much been a two-way street. Uh, China uh, has also been a major beneficiary uh, of this relationship. Uh, Again, if we go back uh, a few decades, uh, we can note that the PRC owes uh, its membership uh, uh, in the United Nations uh, to the support of African states. And if we analyze uh, carefully the Chinese economic miracle, uh, we'll see that it was fueled to a large degree uh, by African uh, resources. Uh, And just one quick final point. Uh, Chinese leadership in uh, multi-la- multilateral institutions, uh, I, in my view, is a reality uh, because of the support uh, of African uh, states. So I think that uh, COVID-19 uh, will, will bring, in fact, uh, Africa uh, and China together. Yes, there are some uh, issues in this relationship. Uh, there are issues of uh, uh, discrimination against Africans in China uh, there's, uh, and this has generated a tremendous amount of uh, ill feelings on the continent, but overall I believe that this relationship long term will remain solid. Uh, one or two words about the relationship between Africa and the United States. It's, very, it's always been a very complex relationship this, between the United States and Africa. We all know that uh, many Africans have, uh, many Americans, I should say, have African roots. Uh, But that relationship uh, between the United States and Africa, if you look at it, especially from an African perspective, uh, you'll see that the United States is regarded as an unreliable partner. An unreliable partner who was mostly on the wrong side of the African liberation uh, struggles. Also, uh, Africa did not particularly like the, uh, the fact that uh, the United States basically disengaged uh, from the continent uh, after the end of the Cold War. So uh, COVID-19, uh, how is it in- complicating even more of this uh, triangular uh, relationship? Uh, there's, a, there's a narrative here in the United States uh that beijing is to blame for the spread of uh COVID, uh 19. uh and the united states is using this narrative uh basically for two purposes uh for two audiences one is the internal audience of course and the other one is the external audience including africa basically signaling to africa uh, that uh, beijing china is responsible for this global pandemic Uh, And therefore, there may be time for the for African countries to reassess uh, their very close relationship uh, with uh, with uh, China. Uh, Africa's support uh, is once again vital for China. Because China is pushing a counter narrative uh, that after beating uh, the virus, uh, it, it is now a leader, so to say, uh in global health uh in africa uh, should continue to partner uh, with china uh to earn uh, to accrue all the benefits as in the past one quick comment about europe uh where is europe well europe is is hardly being seen um on when when it comes to this debate on covid-19 especially as far as international relations are concerned uh the geopolitics of it uh, because uh, Europe has some very, very major internal concerns, internal challenges. Uh, if you look at the UK, we've been following. If you look at uh, Italy and other countries, uh, the concerns are internal. It's not necessarily looking uh, to to make a mark in the geopolitics of international relations at this point. And also, uh, finally, uh, Europe is really no longer uh, a dominant uh, global power. Uh, that space, of course, is being left uh, to uh, China and to the United States. So, uh, this, Chris, uh, are some of my initial comments on this uh, question. Thank you.
0: Great. Thank you. So you see it pulling this. Uh, the aftermath is about pulling Africa and China together. The U.S. will the unreliability will factor will be enhanced in, in some. The the, the vision of that. And then Europe is is uh, an absent actor in this respect in the geopolitics. Thank you very much. Um, Could I talk to Dr. Soleil, please, uh, and ask if you could respond to the same question?
2: Thank you, Chris. Thank you, and um, thank you for having me uh, on this on this panel. Um, I think Aziz set the context, and also a bit, bit of the historical context of uh, Africa's relations with uh, with China, with uh, the US, and and with Europe. So specifically on the COVID-19 pandemic and how it is affecting Africa's relations with the great powers. I think it's important um, to look at it at various levels. So it, depend, it depends on the type and the level of relations we talk about. So first, uh, when we look at humanitarian assistance and what happened, um, uh, uh, right after uh, the pandemic, there seems to be a, a competition you know, among great powers, especially China and the u s in providing assistance to african countries and China has carried out a very visible uh, and active humanitarian assistance you know it, it has been dubbed as you know masks diplomacy, corona diplomacy, providing uh, you know, equipment ppes medical teams uh, and all of this was channeled both via traditional state actors, but also via non-traditional actors in um, China's development assistance to Africa. I'm talking about philanthropies, you know, the, the Jack Ma and the Alibaba Foundation. Um, so on that level, you know, it, it, there's already um, some competition because the U.S. also provided aid, uh, more financial I would say, uh, also uh, in terms of equipment, but it hasn't been as organized uh, in terms of uh, visibility and using social media uh, as China did. Another uh, element, another level, I would say, uh, is on the depth, the question, question of depth, that has been a bit more complicated because there seems to be a lack of coordination among various uh, powers beyond the pledge to assist Africa. With debt alleviation. Um, China agreed in principle to provide uh, uh, some assistance uh, to address for African governments to address their debt solvency issue. But given that China's debt is mostly composed of commercial loans, uh, the, let's say the official position now is to talk about debt restructuring via bilateral discussions, you know, on a case-by-case selection. So there seems also to be a U.S.-China tension on this issue because U.S. officials are considering that cancelling debt for African countries might benefit China as it creates you know, more space for them to contract additional debt uh, to, uh, uh, with China. And on Europe, Europe has also been providing uh, assistance to African government, uh, but differently So reallocation of initial aid, you know, towards the health uh, sectors and critical sectors, also medical materials, but here again, less Amplified via social media, less visible, um, less subject to an organized campaign uh, as, as China did. But where the EU countries have been much more collaborative you know, than the US or China is on the debt question. When you see uh, official statements by President Macron from France, uh, who publicly voiced the need to uh, provide assistance to African countries via debt cancellation and so that is on the government to government level um when you look at it uh, on the societal level and aziz mentioned that a bit already it's a bit more complex because there have been um especially in the case of china the, the Tensions uh, after the racist treatment towards Africans uh, in Guangzhou has created a huge backlash among African public opinions, um, and especially that because this is not uh, the first time that this happens, it's an episode out of many. Uh, it shows also that how China-Africa relations have been much more government-to-government level uh, focused, and you know, less on people-to-people relations. Um, so uh, I think I'll, I will, uh, on this specific question now, and then we can elaborate it uh, further later.
0: Great, thank you very much. So so uh, the question of debt is uh, a long-term, both an immediate and a long-term one, particularly given the commodities, uh, the fallen commodity prices and the ability of African economies and governments to to respond to that. And it's interesting to see how it comes into play between the, the, the geopolitical actors. And you've also uh, corrected perhaps my provocative comment about where's Europe by saying Europe is there. <laughs> but Just not, not so visible, at least in the public domain. Um, uh, Elizabeth Seteropoulos, if I could ask you to
1: comment.
3: Right, yes. Well, thanks to both uh, Aziz and Falashada for setting uh, for setting the context, uh, and then also speaking specifically about some of the developments and in, in uh, around the uh, COVID uh, diplomacy uh, of the last uh, couple of months. Uh, perhaps um, let me let me take this to um, uh, to a slightly different uh, um, uh, level and and make some general remarks, and then some specific areas where. Um, I think different actors, US, EU, uh, 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 China uh, may be playing. I think the first point to make is that the um, uh, the pandemic has simply accentuated already existing trends, uh, both more broadly in terms of global politics, but also in the inherent tensions that we have seen uh, over a number of years, uh, certainly between uh, uh, the US and China, but also that sort of triangular uh, some, sometimes rivalry um, uh, with uh, with the European Union in terms of uh, who's winning the hearts and the minds of uh, of, of African governments, but also um, a civil society, <clears throat> African African societies more generally. Um, I think it is absolutely true to say that um, China has uh, been probably extremely high profile uh, in the way in which it has uh, engaged in. It's post-first phase anyway, uh, a COVID uh, pandemic uh, with the continent and indeed with other parts of, of, of the world as well. Um, uh, the US has provided, as as Falashada said, some, uh, some support, uh, but I think it gets lost in the very, very uh, uh, strong rhetoric uh, that comes out of, uh, of Washington, D.C., uh, and so it's almost as if uh, whatever they have, uh, whatever support has been provided, and then I think it, it's not insubstantial, kind of gets lost in that noise. Um, Europe, of course, has been, as with the, uh, with the US, been battling simultaneously with uh, the pandemic and, and where the numbers of, uh, of infected people and deaths have been phenomenal, uh, you know, phenomenally high. And so the bandwidth has also been different. China is way ahead of the curve in terms of uh, where, where its pandemic is, has evolved. Uh, Europe, uh, to some extent, Africa, although I think that's a little still behind Europe and the US are still in the, in the throes of, of going through some of the worst um, uh, worst effects on it. And certainly that has had uh, some impact on, uh, on the way in which they've engaged. But absolutely, I think uh, Europe, although it took some time for Europe to get its act together both internally, and here I'm talking about the EU, but also Europe more broadly. Um, it, uh, um, I think it's, it's uh, the initiatives uh, in the last couple of weeks as well as around raising money for vaccines and research and so on, I think have all been very positive. But let me make then a couple of observations uh, in terms of what the longer term ramifications uh, uh, might be in, in, in sort of Africa being uh, sort of caught in the middle of 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 many of these of these tensions between uh, certainly the u s and china and then to some to some extent um, uh, the u n uh, the the eu um, i think i think firstly uh, uh, we as africans need to be asking uh, very uh, hard questions about where we're going, where multilateralism is going, where the new order or the global order is going, and what that means for us and what we want out of it. Um, um, Clearly, we have for many years been talking about the importance of systemic change, uh, uh, of uh, certainly significant problems with uh, 70-year-old architecture, uh, which has uh, uh, reformed over time but not sufficiently. Uh, but this is now coming to a stage where the original underwriter of the system has said, I've had enough of this, child. Um, and so, you know, some of the these rivalries and tensions play themselves very, very out, very, very clearly in, in the World Health Organization. Uh, uh, we see them at the UN, we see them at the IMF and, and, and World Bank and, and, and so on. For For African countries... Uh, this this rivalry between and this tension, this polarization between uh, China and the U.S. Um, uh, carries the danger of eroding the rules in the absence of something new to take their place. And for uh, for countries that are small, fairly marginal in the global economy, and so on, this is this is a, this is a problem. And so it's not in our interest. And so the questions we must be asking is. Where do we position ourselves uh, in this broader discussion around multilateralism? Um, the, second, uh, the second point relates to, uh, uh, to sort of global trade and related regionalism, and probably related to the uh, growing protection and nationalism and populism, populism that we see around the world, uh, not, not, not least in, in, in the countries um, uh, in, the, in the two great powers. Um, and and what that means then uh, for uh, for our initiatives? Um, clearly, trade uh, uh, has taken a, a bit of a dive, uh, coming out of uh, or in the middle of COVID-19. And this is apart from uh, from the impact of oil and uh, uh, that has had on, on oil uh, on oil economies. Uh, there has been the 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 rhetoric and the talk about reshoring many manufacturing enterprises and so on, linked to pharmaceuticals. Uh, Africa again is in the midst of a uh, is 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 a taker of these. We don't we don't produce. Uh, pharmaceuticals. Uh, We don't have much of a manufacturing uh, base. Um, We are reliant very much on on global value chains, but uh, uh, sort of on the receiving uh, receiving end. And I think a world that then moves, uh, particularly one that where the trade wars between the US and China and the technology wars uh, tend to drive everybody into their own corner, is a world where we have to really double up our efforts around regionalism and initiatives that we've undertaken around uh, the African continental free trade area and building of regional uh, value chains. It raises the question about where investment is going to come from in the future, um, uh, given that there is that, and certainly over the next couple of years, there will be a a related slump um, in, in foreign direct investment. And then what role, and how do we engage then more effectively with de- development finance institutions in that regard, um, the third point is 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 really about where both China and the U.S. and the EU uh, will be playing in the area of, of energy and renewable energy in particular. I've mentioned the slump in in oil prices and how that has affected uh, a, a number of African countries, but it also create creates then an opportunity. You know, never let a good crisis go to waste creates an opportunity really for us to uh, to really. Take the bull by the horns uh, and really make some um, uh, uh, make take some very difficult structural transformation decisions economically uh, around uh, issues of climate change and and uh, and, and sectors that are um, uh, that are more sustainable uh, rather than uh, fossil fuel um, um, intensive we know where the u s is sitting on that uh, um, we know that the EU has had a very strong uh, engagement on that, and I suspect that over the next few months, as the EU prepares for an EU Africa summit, that that might be uh, uh, something on the on the on the agenda. Almost as a, uh, a COVID has helped to facilitate some of that. The other uh, uh, the other downside might be that countries say, "Well, you know, this is too much trouble to embark on such structural transformation. Let's forget about those." Chinese are willing to, to help uh, fund some of these things. The US couldn't care. Uh, let's just uh, business as usual. And the last point I just want to to raise uh, is really about technology and the fact that COVID-19 has highlighted how important technology is uh, uh, and being able to, uh, to have a digital economy. Uh, many African countries obviously um, are, are behind in that. But we also are in a position where, uh, we uh, are it's it's one it's part of our objectives to roll out uh, um, ict and to become more connected and we have also sort of developed uh, very strong uh, uh, engagements with china around 5g uh, um, technology and i think that is probably going to be one of those uh, uh, issues that that bubbles and and uh, has an impact on the way in which uh, the u.s china relationship impacts on on Africa in terms of the technology wars that are already uh, happening and, and taking place. Let me leave it there for the time being.
0: Great, <clears throat> thanks very much. I mean, I, I, what I hear pulling all the threads together through this is, public diplomacy is absolutely central to the story of of geopolitics now and that digital forms of it are are becoming the the, the, the if you like the battleground or at least the the area of contestation to uh, if if the united states for instance is not well represented uh, uh, across the continent it's less about what it's doing but it hasn't told its story or europe or or if china 's represented in certain ways it 's because the story 's being told in certain ways so the centrality of of digital diplomacy and and who tells the story and how it 's received are, are, are crucial or are increasingly crucial and that 's part of that geopolitics that centering of it. I wanted to pick up on a th- some of these threads and and, and come back to to um, aziz and ask, ask you about um, Multilateralism, actually, which was something Elizabeth just mentioned, I'm wondering if if uh, multilateralism then is an, a, a zone of contestation uh, for geopolitics and for Africa, given that Africa puts so much uh, uh, um, effort and aligning of policies and and was uh, well represented in multilateral groups. You know, the, how how this contestation or competitive conduct affects Africa? Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, that's that's a very good question. Um, multilateralism works well when it's in the interest of the great powers. Uh, when it's not in the interest of uh, great powers, it doesn't work very well uh, because, of course, they control uh, the agenda. Oh, they control the agendas, uh, I should say. Uh, so, Uh, And and this, of course, poses all sorts of different dilemmas uh, for Africa, Uh, supporting multilateralism uh, when uh, the great powers want it to work. Uh, But what about when Africa wants it to work? What about when Africa needs it uh, to work? Usually that happens when uh, the great powers are more preoccupied, as now, with internal, not external, uh, uh, survivals. Uh, The United States currently uh, basically doesn't really care much about multilateralism. Uh, China is filling a bit of that void, is filling a bit of of that gap. Uh, And that poses uh, massive challenges for Africa, how to position itself uh, uh, better uh, on the international stage uh, to benefit from uh, multilateralism. Very, very, very uh, complex. Uh, African countries uh, over the decades have not been particularly uh, successful in doing that. Uh, if, we, if we are honest, uh, we're going to, uh, to admit that. Uh, perhaps uh, post-COVID-19, uh, with new uh, formulations of multilateralism, uh, maybe uh, Africa can benefit uh, a bit more.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, uh, Fole Shada, I wanted to, to, to follow up on that with uh, comments on multilateralism and, and perhaps on the WHO uh, itself. We have an African leading the WHO. Does, how, how was uh, geopolitics read uh, or this competitive conduct being read uh, uh, by Africa, particularly with this, uh, what had been a celebrated appointment of an African mm. to a senior post
2: in an agency? Yes well um Dr Tedros' uh, appointment was uh, really I would say celebrated you know, first across uh, the continent and as being, you know, a, a milestone for African representation at the top levels of multilateral institutions because um, Africa is represented in, in, in all these various um, arenas, but, you know, there, has, there was this debate for already for several years on how to push for African leaders to be, you know, at, at top positions. Um, so at the WHO, uh, you're right. So there's this there's This tension now, and I think Aziz mentioned it uh, already uh, on how the US has, you know, disengaged from uh, these uh, various institutions. The US uh, left, uh, suspended first its its financial contribution, and now left the, the WHO. Um, well, I think ha- it it depends on. I think it might be um, an issue at at several levels. First. Um, these institutions are um very crucial you know for um africa's development you know there are so many several projects that have uh, that are carried out there and the lack of funding we all know that the us represents quite a a very important uh, percentage uh, in terms of financial contributions to these institutions so that that will definitely be an impact on the, uh, on the continent. Um, however, what uh, we've seen so far, especially during this pandemic, is sort of quite a common s- support, I would say a collective, sorry, a collective support from several, um, from many African presidents, you know, towards, uh, t- towards the need, the uh, well, towards Dr. Tedros at the WHO, but also if we go down a bit, you know, on, on regional, Uh, multilateral institutions, you know, thinking about the African Development Bank, for instance, and its um, chief uh, executive that is also facing, uh, you know, um, an internal crisis with the U.S. demanding for uh, an independent internal investigation. Um, Here again, you know, there's some collective support from African governments uh, and from African leaders who voice it clearly on social media. You know, to 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 keep these uh, these leaders in place. So those are the tendencies uh, that I'm observing. So.
0: Thank you, thank you. Um, I, I just to tell there there are quite a number of uh, questions coming in. I'm I've got a few questions I want to continue to put to the panel, but I'll certainly uh, be turning it over and reading your questions, uh, um, audience, uh, as uh, shortly. Um, if I could ask uh, Elizabeth uh, to speak to the question of particular sectors, do you see um, the kind of competitive uh, geopolitics we've talked about it in a multilateral sector and, and uh, uh, in its impact there? Does it have any meaning in areas such as development and security? Does this do we find uh, competition? Um, impinging on the actual delivery of these very important public uh, goods to African governments and, and uh, uh, societies.
3: Well, I mean that's that's a good question, and I think it's important to to differentiate sometimes, although not always, from the sort of high rhetoric uh, um, that particularly comes out of or the social media rhetoric that that comes out of. Uh, uh, out of Washington, um, and then what is actually happening o- on the ground, I think that 's important to make that uh, point certain in the area of, of, of development and development cooperation. Um, I think in other areas of course it's, it's, it it, it, it reflects, um, uh, reflects reality. I think if we were just to touch on on say development and development cooperation uh, more specifically, clearly um, uh, both the U.S. and and the EU and uh, and the 27 uh, uh, member states uh, are, are important aid uh, providers to uh, to the continent. Certainly, the, the European Union is, is is the largest aid provider to the continent. And a lot of that, if we're coming back to the point about about debt, a lot of those are actual grants. And that's a little different then from the way in which. Uh, uh, China has engaged where there's also a significant amount that is, that is, that is loans. Um, why, why, why do I say that? I think, and, and at the same time, while both the EU and the US, you know, provide uh, significant support, uh, uh, aid to, uh, to the continent, and certainly uh, when we talk about the HIV-AIDS uh, crisis, the, the US's PEPFAR program has been one of the most significant uh, uh, in, in, in helping uh, countries uh, combat um, combat the HIV AIDS uh, uh, virus, um, these amounts are still very small. If you're just looking about on the impact at the impact of COVID nineteen on African economies, African socioeconomic indicators. Um, anyway, they, they were going. They are small anyway. Uh, given the uh, particular domestic uh, challenges that both Europe and the US are facing now in dealing with the uh, the COVID pandemic, uh, and then mobilizing trillions of dollars in, in, in that regard. There is also bound to be some uh, serious uh, discussion about whether aid money, even though that's very small, you're talking about 150 billion, um, even, even though you're talking about such small amounts, there is likely to be a redirection. Um, uh, uh, or a reduction uh, doesn't really um, affect the relationship between the U.S. and China too much uh, in terms of how it plays out in Africa, but it certainly has an impact on the way in which Africans uh, uh, might view the U.S. The aid budget has been under political uh, strain for some, uh, for some time, and that certainly is one of those soft tools which I think uh, the U.S. has generally acknowledged as an important uh, aspect of its diplomacy, but which under this administration certainly has declined. It is something that the Chinese really regard as as as, as very important. Um, uh, and so they continue to use that as an effective uh, uh, soft power tool. Um, the... If if you were to move to the uh, to the area of uh, of 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 conflict or, or peace and security uh, more specifically, clearly both part uh, both uh, both countries uh, have a particular interest in different parts of the continent. And both have an interest in stability. Uh, they have both been involved either multilaterally or bilaterally. Uh, the U.S. more often bilaterally, uh, but, the, but the Chinese really supporting uh, efforts at stability uh, via the African uh, uh, Union. Um, they, their interests obviously don't coalesce, um, but they're probably not uh, um, on specific conflicts, not necessarily on either, on, on either side of, of, of the equation in a way, say, that the U.S. might be with Russia in, in, in certain conflicts on, on the continent. having said that, I think the the. US is very uh, acutely aware of the fact that this is also one of the attempts by uh, by China to make uh, inroads into into the hearts and minds of both AU continental institutions as well as particular elites and, 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 and particular societies um, and, um, uh, and, and and so their continued presence particularly in the Sahel, um uh, uh, plays out on two levels obviously the concerns around uh, around terrorism and uh, extremism, but also the importance of retaining um, uh, a hold on, on uh, and a presence in the continent. of course AFRICOM uh, uh, is still a, an important uh, tool that uh, that uh, that the Americans use in, in in that regard. so these are potential areas where um, uh, even though they may not come into into uh, into direct uh, conflict, uh, these are areas which, depending on how each side uh, engages with the Africans, can help to increase uh, the, uh, um, uh, the its profile in a positive way uh, uh, or, or, or or decrease it. I think, having said that, and this is my last point, I think there is also the potential, ironically, for some cooperation trilateral cooperation between Africans, Americans, and Chinese in areas such as health, uh, where you're talking about engagement, not necessarily at a governmental level, but certainly um, uh, NGOs and other actors that can come together. And that has happened in the past. In fact, the the CDC, the African CDC, is is an element of that. Cooperation in in, in West Africa around Ebola um, uh, is another. And, And so that so i think we should see it as a as a multi level uh, uh, engagement where there can be heightened uh, uh, rivalry but at the same time also very functional cooperation on the ground
0: and in that sense it differs from uh, uh, we, we're from the cold war era uh, where really there was an absence of cooperation almost across the board in all sectors whereas we see you know we can see competition in some venues at some moments uh, in this setting and we see uh, you have distinctive forms of cooperation playing out as well, so that's you know it is it's it's it should be recognized I would also s- say that what what I hear from 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 all of you is the idea that African agency uh has an opening here that there are opportunities for African states in competitive environments to uh play. Uh, to, to at least play off or at least uh, improve their position, their bargaining power vis-a-vis the great powers. I'm wondering, uh, Aziz, if, if you have any thoughts on, on that. Uh,
1: on, on, but before, before touching on, on African agency, Chris, if I may, uh, I want to go back to a point you just made. You mentioned uh, the Cold War. Uh, and in my sense, actually, when, when you said that, I thought you're talking about the new Cold War or the second Cold War uh, between uh, the United States uh, and China, that in my view, it's uh, basically upon us. Uh, and this uh, will, will impact a lot of thinking about development uh, and about security, both in China, in the United States. Uh, and uh, in Africa, so uh, I think that we need to uh, we need to pay attention to how uh, this new Cold War will affect uh, both uh, security and development. Uh, to your question about, uh, about agency, uh, African agency, uh, in my view, uh, agency hinges on influence. Uh, In fact, when when we're the fine agency, I think the key word is influence, the degree to which, in this particular case, uh, African political leaders, African states, African actors generally, uh, can uh, carve room within the international uh, system, uh, room to maneuver, room to influence, room to uh, help determine agendas uh, and so on and so forth. My sense, though, is that uh, most African countries are a bit um, – their ability to exert influence internationally is still limited. It's still limited. Uh, It's still limited because they do not necessarily have uh, the great currency uh, of international relations power. Uh, insufficient supplies, insufficient, their stock of power is not sufficient uh, to influence um, international relations today. You know, just uh, to, if we can talk about, for example, debt, as we've been talking about. Uh, Many African countries spend more of their resources servicing external debt than on healthcare. Uh, this, is, this is extraordinary. You know, it's very difficult uh, for a country or for a group of countries uh, to exert influence internationally, to have agency. If they have to the choose between either you pay your foreign creditors or you allow your citizens to die. It's very difficult for countries like the United States, like China, like the European uh, states uh, to look upon African countries with a tremendous amount of agency. Uh, So I believe that uh, for African countries to really have um, agency uh, internationally, uh, they will have to take care of the internal issues first. They have to uh, ensure that Uh, Their economies are developing uh, to a level where uh, dependency is no longer uh, the reality. Uh, Their their societies are strong. Uh, Their societies are vibrant. Their societies are resilient. Once those internal dynamics are better taken care of, then uh, the issue of African agency internationally automatically follows. The reverse, I don't think, uh, will be the case.
0: And and it's interesting that um, the, the period that we associate with uh, the rise of Africa, which is an economic rise, and with that a sort of uh, coherent position on the international stage that emerged in, in the 2000s, or uh, the first decade and and, uh, uh, a bit into the second decade of the 2000s, started with um, the HIPPIC initiative, the heavily indebted poor countries, the the decision to to, to forgive uh, debt across African economies or those most affected. And uh, and it enabled these economies to begin to to, to jumpstart, and that also again gave that that space for great greater development and greater growth and agency in that. Um, what worries me about the pandemic is that we have and it and uh, Folichada had uh, mentioned this is that we're actually on on another debt cliff with the continent, and that uh, how external powers respond to this. Um, and I would like to think if that that there's a coordinated and constructive response, but I'm not sure that that's in the making as yet. So perhaps you can uh, give us a, a bit more on that point, Fulishada. Um
2: Well, on the debt question, I think what um, first on the specific debt question in relations to the pandemic. Um, uh, that is currently taking place, it's, uh, let's say it's an evolving matter. Um, there doesn't seem to be a consensus uh, on both sides, actually. There is no consensus on the African side, and there's no consensus on the creditors' side. So if we look um, at the, uh, on the African, the African government side first, so first of all, there are different um, requests. Some are asking for debt cancellation. Others are asking for um, debt moratorium. And you have a small category of countries, like my own uh, where I'm from, Benin, who um, just doesn't want anything. So so their stance is, well, uh, we want to pay everything back. uh, Because um, if we go into such a program, it will affect our sovereign rate, right? Um, but what this reflects is also the various uh, other, different levels of in by African countries. Their GDP, uh, the debt to uh, GDP ratio is very different. Um, so uh, the, here we start. Here we already have, um, let's say, a lack of of consensus. Um, on the other side, on the creditor side, Africa's um, debt or Africa's contracted debt to with so many different uh, contractors. So we have private ones, um, public ones, the development banks, and so there's no, uh, there's not necessarily a coordination there. There, well, we can. Take some examples. You know, there has been a general pledge by the G20. I mentioned earlier that Europe seems to be more uh, engaging into, um, you know, debt cancellation or debt moratorium for those who are requesting it. Um, the participants in uh, in the, in an Afri- in the Africa Private Club, uh, you know, have um, already established also a number of core principles of engagement. And uh, there's also uh, China also plays a very important. Factor because many of these countries are um, heavily indebted towards China. You know, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, Zambia, uh, Angola, to some extent, also South Africa. Um, and ch- most of these loans are commercial loans. And historically, uh, China doesn't cancel histor- uh, con- concessional loans. So uh, they tend to, you know, restructure the debt, and also. Uh, China is playing on both sides. they pledge you know for the need for assistance uh, for for Africa to be assisted on this on this uh, specific topic, but at the same time they um, also prefer to go the bilateral way by discussing all of these cases you know on a case by case basis uh, but bilaterally um, so I think there it's still let's say um it's very complex, you no, know, at this stage, um, and I think it's also an evolving matter uh, at the same time.
0: Thank you. Um, I have such. We have a huge number of questions here, so people have been very patient. Uh, uh, and I hope uh, um, have have uh, learned and, and uh, a lot of, from what we've been talking about. So let me bring in some of the questions. Uh, let me start with one from from a, um, a UK uh, law enforcement officer. He sa- asked the question uh, I, on the security side of things: How do African countries feel the EU and its member states are reacting to the Chinese presence in five G? and and the purchase of key strategic metals, for instance, for electric vehicles. So quite a specific security question, but commercial security question. Um, I wonder if any of the panelists, uh, before I assign somebody, want to take that. Elizabeth, you look braced to take that
3: question. Um, um, I'm not, uh, I think the question focused on how the EU sees the way in which Africa, uh, African countries are engaging with China on 5G and... Yeah, correct. Yes, I I, I worded it, probably. Um, um, Okay, so I'm going to, I'm not sure, I don't don't know if I will be able to answer it directly, but clearly to make... to make the point uh, and to reflect on the uh, EU's own internal discussions around uh, 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 5G and, 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 and China's engagement in, in, in the EU, EU, and the purchasing of, and also I think added to that, uh, the purchasing of uh, potentially uh, strategic uh, companies. And I know there's been a big debate within the European Union about uh, about the extent to which certain industry should perhaps be protected uh, from takeover, particularly now uh, uh, during uh, during this recession, and uh, certainly be protected uh, from uh, from China, uh, from Chinese uh, uh, purchases. But I, my understanding is also that even in in, in Europe, broadly defined, uh, not just the European Union, the issue of uh, of, of 5G and China is is also a matter that is. Uh, uh, that has been much debated, but that that hasn't necessarily been decided one way one way or another. Having said that, I I, I imagine that um, Europe and I, I can't speak uh, speak for them, but but uh, my perception is that there is probably some concern. Um, uh, bearing in mind how europe has seen uh, china as both uh, a competitor and uh, and uh, a partner with which they can they try to cooperate from time to time on the continent and i think there is some concern about uh, growing uh, potentially growing monopolization both of technology um, as well as as of, of strategic minerals that are key for uh, key inputs for uh for technology i think that that is seen also in the, in the paper that was re- re- released by the European uh, Commission uh, a little while ago on, on the relationship with China uh, and the broader internal debates that they have uh, uh, vis-a-vis uh, Chinese industry technology and so on.
0: Um, I think that uh, uh, th- there's more to say on that particular topic, um, but um, do, do either of you... Uh, do, do either follow or Aziz want to say anything further or shall we park it f- and, and move on to another question you have any? okay um what what uh, a number of people have, have asked is uh where's where are the other powers we're speaking as if the great power discussion is a, a or external power discussion is one that's rooted in in two players with the the European Union as a a kind of collective actor that uh, defined as EU or or as Europe uh, in various ways. What about countries like India? Where's Brazil? Uh, There there are so-called middle range powers, uh, South Korea and the like. All of them are players in this environment and all of them exercise or seek to exercise some kind of influences. And I wonder if... if, uh, uh, my colleagues have, have uh, comments on that. Let me start with uh, Aziz.
1: The the other countries are there. Uh, you know, you look at uh, India, uh, look even Iran. You know, the, the, these countries are there, and they they are, they are They're playing. They're playing important roles. Uh, Turkey. Um, you know, uh, they they have uh, uh, in a way rediscovered Africa. Uh, they They understand uh, that Africa will have a very very important impact into the future uh, if you look if you look around the world, uh, most young people you know the, the majority of young people are in fact in Africa uh, and they 're growing so a lot of other countries uh, Brazil has very long uh, uh, historical ties with Africa. these countries are there. These countries are there. But is the ability of countries like China uh, to really impact development, uh, to impact security, to impact society in fundamental ways, there it's almost like there is in there are two different categories. Two different categories. Country, and China is quickly uh, becoming Uh, A league of its own, because when China comes to the table, uh, China comes with massive quantities of whatever it is uh, that the Africans uh, need or want. Sometimes they don't need or they don't want. Africa, uh, China brings it uh, anyway. There's really no other country right now uh, except the United States in the area of security. That's a massive exception except the United States in the area of security, there are very few other countries that can bring to Africa what uh, what the United States and China uh, can. Now, Brazil, for example. Uh, Brazil uh, has, for the last maybe three decades, four decades or so, been a- attempting to play a-, a role in Africa. But it is not. It is not. Uh, the The promise of Brazilian-African cooperation in a number of fields has not is not materialized. You know, uh, Brazil comes in and builds a dam, takes them decades to, to complete that project. China comes in, in a matter of months, done. Uh, so Africans see that. And that's one of the reasons why Africans are, in a way, uh, Positioning themselves better with China because Africans are pragmatic uh, China is bringing very tangible very very tangible returns on that relationship uh, with uh, with Africa and I think that's the reason that's the reason why you see China not so much the other breaks uh, China not so much the other countries they would like to have. Uh, a relationship, a deeper relationship with Africa. China is succeeding because of just the the, the magnitude uh, of uh, the resources uh, that they bring to the table.
0: Go ahead, go ahead, Elizabeth. Go ahead. Uh,
3: okay, I see I've been unmuted. So. Um... Um, I want to pick up on, on what Asis said now and, and related to the previous remark he made about the Cold War, a uh, second uh, Cold War, and I think that's that's an important observation, although I hope we're not at the threshold of a, of a new Cold War. Um, um, but I think we need to, uh, uh, African countries need to be very acutely aware of of, of where the trends are in, in, in that sense, because what you don't want is uh, uh, the repetition of the previous Cold War in terms of, of, uh, of uh, conflict becoming proxies between one and another side. And if the, the competition um, uh, is exacerbated uh, between uh, China and, and the U.S. through a security prism, I think that is, that is a concern going forward. I don't. I mean, it's not necessarily one that is happening now but i think it 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 is a concern i think the one uh, uh the the one point i want to uh, to make around um, around other powers is that absolutely they don't have the capacity they don't have the um uh the various uh and substantive instruments that say a china or, or a us has but in the absence in in this current interim period, let's say, um, uh, where, uh, you know, the U.S. is retreating. I think it's still by far the most, uh, uh, relatively speaking, the most powerful global actor. Uh, China is rising, but it's, it's still not the, uh, uh, the global hegemon and I, I think still has uh, sort of capacity constraints um, around that. This, this particular period creates the uh, environment for other powers, to actually uh, uh, look to advance their interests. And sometimes that can advance their interests without too much uh, wherewithal. Um, And and one good example is the way in which Russia uh, Russia is engaging, particularly in 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 um, in the security domain. Another one, of course, is to look at Turkey, particularly in Libya, particularly in Libya, where it's actually given the Russians a run for their money. Um, but it's also made significant uh, advances as a regional power in a much broader you know, region, sort of the eastern and central Mediterranean, as well as, 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 as the Middle East uh, and the Gulf, also. Um, the Gulf states also looking to, uh, to parts of the continent where they have seen some vacuum, power vacuum emerging, to actually be able to, uh, to become much more involved. Uh, and in fact, to bring some of the Gulf politics into into North Africa, and so this this current period is actually quite dangerous because um, you know how do you deal with the conflict in Libya? Well, it's not just an AU issue, or it's just not a North Africa issue. There are so many other external actors that are in the in the mix now that it becomes really really difficult uh, to try to not um, uh, 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 to try to. D- to mediate and to and to negotiate some sort of uh, settlement. There are so many uh, different um, uh, agendas.
0: Yeah, fully please.
3: Yes,
2: I, I would just like to um, to add something to what uh, Elizabeth and Aziz already said. It it would be interesting to see how this uh, emerging powers competition will play out. Um, in, during this crisis, but also you know in a post COVID nineteen era, it's very likely that um, global health diplomacy will be you know at the center. Now it, it will gain much more in priority, um, and given that health diplomacy occupies you know the interface between international health assistance and also international political relations, um, it. It would be interesting to, to see how emerging powers will carry out this diplomacy in Africa. And so, yes, there has been a lot of talk on China, but um, one should also remember that since 2009, India you know, has been very active in um, committing you know, finance, at least $100 million uh, to bilateral health projects, but also has been very active in, especially in West Africa, you know in carrying out an e-health diplomacy. Um, there's this uh, initiative called the Pan-Africa Telemedicine you know, and teleeducation Network where hospitals, universities throughout West Africa are connected uh, with their counterparts in India to facilitate um, health um, and best uh, practices, you know, in medicine. So um, it, it would be interesting to see with this global pandemic uh, how Countries like India, but also China, who will uh, very likely, you know, uh, redirect some of its projects in, you know, maybe constructing more hospitals and, you know, more uh, health-related infrastructure. Uh, it will be interesting to see how it carries out. But most importantly, I think, it is how do African leaders take advantage of this uh, of These multiple offers, you know, and there is where the question of agency becomes, uh, I would say, central. You know, when you compare how African governments engage with these various um, actors, it's also a, a huge variety. You know, some like Ethiopia or Rwanda have specific dedicated desks, you know, like China, a China desk where um, diplomats or, you know, all the officials speak Mandarin. They have a good knowledge of the Chinese culture, they are, um, or the Indian culture and so on. So they are, uh, the way bureaucracies are structured will also determine how African governments take uh, the most advantage of, well, this rising interest
0: uh, on Africa, and and do you think that uh, some African governments are better poised and positioned to take advantage of it? And and I'm thinking perhaps in on the health side that that since that's the, the starting point for our discussion, is is it. Um, are, you know we're un- we're presenting an Africa that's un- essentially undifferentiated, but of course the great diversity institutional depth s- mode of governance etc et etc et um, uh, what 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 do you think Fulashata, others on the panel think and, and-
2: well let's um, say i think it it i said it a bit um, uh, in in my previous remark I think it really depends on uh, whether or not these governments have uh, let 's say a china strategy or an India strategy or not uh, w- no i i'm specialized on you know, francophone west african countries and I, when I compare them um I, I can see that sometimes china or or dealing with china, relations with China or with india um, haven 't um haven't created like a reorganization of these bureaucracies meaning that the Asia department uh, deals with India matters and China matters, but there's no dedicated team. Uh, And so this hasn't changed uh, overall. But there are some exceptions, you know, and you take a country like Côte d'Ivoire, they have a dedicated um, China uh, desk as well, just like Ethiopia does, because the the rising number of infrastructure projects and uh, also the debt and loan contraction um, towards China has created the need to coordinate um, and elaborate a specific strategy. And this is uh, more the case, I I think, also a bit with Senegal, Cote d'Ivoire, but less the case with other small countries. If you take a country like uh, Benin, for instance, one of the struggles they have had is because they haven't been able to uh, negotiate very um, effectively, you know, on a coordinated basis, and so that creates lots of issues where you have some you, agency is still there, you know, but it's very um, sporadic. You know, it's individual. It's um, it depends on one uh, there's one department that exercises, you know, more agency in terms of signing better deals, uh, providing, you know, more um, labor contracts, or uh, you know, just reviewing whether environment and construction norms are enforced. So um, there's, there's really an important variation there. And I think one thing that is uh, really a priority is the need to come up with a very coherent strategy towards China or even the others but with these countries that are now their first trade partners.
0: Great. And, and I see I have some other questions here. This one that came through for Elizabeth in particular. Um, which is the impor- about the importance of technology, um, but uh, at, at, you flag that in your opening statement, but how is it that uh, and this is a, from Columbia, I should say um, how is it that um, internet wh- how is this supposed to happen with so many communities that don 't have access to to the internet? Uh, you know, we, why even talk about five g when when people you know don 't ha- have no g as it were? Uh, uh, So, uh, is there an opportunity here to expand that? Does this provide the uh, access points to to expanding that? What do you think?
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, And uh, and as a whole, I think uh, there are, across the continent, there are pockets of technological innovation anyway, uh, that have uh, that have been rolled out and have actually been taken outside of the continent, but absolutely uh, large parts. And I don't have the f- the figures to to hand uh, immediately in terms of connectivity and, and and so on. But the fact of the matter is that uh, smartphones, uh, are, you know, do not have a hundred percent coverage in terms of the population, but are certainly uh, 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 growing in in in, in reach, um, there is a possibility, and this has been something that has also been recognised continentally. There is a possibility uh, to, uh, and indeed an imperative uh, that that COVID has has brought to the fore even more strongly. There is an imperative to actually roll out uh, infrastructure, ICT infrastructure. Even to the most uh, remote areas, we have already heard the stories of of farmers in rural parts of East Africa or Southern Africa, sort of getting, you know, getting prices of products uh, 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 um, uh, where they might sell their, uh, their their produce on their phones and so on. And so these are opportunities that are critical if we are to increase at least our economic agency and reduce our dependency. I think COVID has brought that home more forcefully. The question is whether after COVID and whether that is over the next year or two years or whatever it it, it might take to to get over it, uh, we are still going to be uh, focused on uh, on the lessons that we are learning now about what we need to do in terms of our development. If we don't do that, and this is the big challenge around development, if we don't do this, uh, we stand to lose a lot of the developmental gains that we, um, uh, we on the continent made over the last uh, last two decades that's that 's the biggest, uh, that's the biggest uh, threat and I think technology not only creates opportunities uh, uh, but also um, but is also an essential means of doing work in the 21st century and we can leapfrog we, you know, it doesn 't have to come through us we can, uh, it doesn 't have to be developed by us. Uh, technology has shown that uh, even if you're uh, sort of late, you come into the game very late, you can certainly, you, you can miss out, you can skip out all the earlier steps uh, and make some progress. Clearly, they're going to be hubs. There are some countries that will be better able uh, to engage with it than others. Um, and some of them, you know, are notable. But, you know, you can think of the Kenyas, you can think of the South Africa's, hopefully, if we uh, if we do something with our spectrum or Rwanda's um, uh, and so on, but this is absolutely um, on the agenda. Certainly in the agenda and discussions with with China, uh, the, my president, the South African president, has been on record about saying that you know we stand with China on on its five G technology when there was the uh, when I think President Trump had had made some some statements in 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 that regard. So these are conversations that uh, African leaders are. Uh, 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 are having and believe are, are critical. So um, yeah, I, I think it's possible, and it's essential.
0: Oh, great! Thank you. I think um, <clears throat> I, I wanted to bring in a few other questions here because they're really flying in fast and furious. So I'm trying to sort through as they pop up. One of them was on South-South cooperation by by a. Uh, um, Colleague out of Southeast Asia, Lupfe uh, Sadiqi, um, and whether this enhances the opportunities um, uh, for Africa for Africa as a as a in, in terms of South South cooperation, or problem solving, looking east or looking south, maybe is a better way to put it, uh, because of the relative strengths and success of some of the countries of, uh, the, the new, uh, the newly emerging or developing countries and what they can, what the, the lessons that can be learned and transmitted. Does this offer up new opportunities and new thinking in African, po- amongst African policymakers when they look to, to Africa, maybe, uh, Aziz, if you could, uh, uh, speak to that.
1: Sure. Chris, uh, you know, South-South cooperation um, has been has been there for for decades. Uh, go back to the Bandung Conference, uh, the Non-Aligned Movement, and you know, South-South cooperation has been there. Uh, but as I said earlier, South-South cooperation has never risen to the level uh, that. Uh, Africans, for example, might expect in in a a whole area of, in a broad spectrum of of areas, development, security, technology, and so on and so forth, Uh, because uh, the the developing countries, uh, you know, the fast developing countries are still developing. You know, they still have issues internally that they are trying to solve. You know, even China, even China. Don't forget that China is still trying to get rid of um, massive levels of poverty. Now I think that they will be able to reach an important goal next year, twenty twenty one, of uh, getting rid of um, absolute poverty. Okay, it doesn't mean that they don't have poverty; they just got to getting rid of absolute poverty. What that tells you is uh, that their resources, you know, whatever wealth. They're creating internally. Their top priority is still addressing internal concerns before they address African concerns. Same thing with India. Same thing with Pakistan. Same thing with Bangladesh. You could go on and on at South Korea. You could go on and on and on. These countries still, before they look at elsewhere, before they look at Africa, before they look at uh, Big South or the Global South, uh, they still have their own internal problems. And only after, the, in their calculations, resources are allocated to address internal uh, concerns, whatever is left over, then it goes, it goes elsewhere. Not the other way around, not the other way around. Uh, so South-South cooperation is great in theory, uh but we also need to understand that the realities of south-south cooperation uh tend to lead uh countries uh in the south uh to address their own internal development and security and other issues uh before engaging with with their with their partners uh in in the south.
0: Ole yeah.
2: Uh, yes, well, if I put uh, the question in the context of the of the pandemic, um, I think South-South cooperation, um, meaning, you know, exchange of uh, idea, I- ideas, but also exchange of best practices, could be very, um, well, it has already been taking place, but it could be even more, Um, let's say, promoted in this context. Um, Take the example of, uh, you know, the different types of lockdown measures that uh, various African countries have uh, implemented, some, you know, more or less uh, restrictions or not. Uh, Many of these models were copied from the West, and so there have been voices saying, um,